In the meridian of time, a radical of society stood and proclaimed a bold new initiative, upending the cultural norms of the day. That message, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Be ye therefore perfect. This higher law given by Christ paves the way for each of us to reach our own radical potential that only He can see. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit may teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. To me, to be meek means to be someone that's moldable, someone that's willing to, to change in order to become what Heavenly Father needs them to be. To be meek, to me, just means to be teachable, to never feel like I have reached a point where there's not more for me to learn, um, that I have never grown and reached my potential here on this earth right now, because I know that that's not true. And as long as I'm humble and teachable, I feel like that's what it means to be meek. When I read Meek in the Bible, for actually for the first time this week, um, to me, it was more synonymous with being humble before God. Um, in my faith, the Jewish faith, um, we have a lot of symbols that we use to, to show how we are humble before God. So I think it, it connected directly to that as well. A lot of times the world thinks meek as, as weakness. And I think it's the, this definition of I'm, being, I'm submitting my will to, to God's and through that comes strength. So it's almost this combination of being humble and being submissive, but being hungry or being passionate or, and energetic around a cause. And that, that combination of two things that may see, feel separated as they come together, there's, there's power in that. Welcome everybody, my name is Ben Lomu and I'm your host. Our gospel scholar for today is James Goldberg. James is a writer and historian with the Church History Department of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. James, welcome back. Good to be here. And our special guest today is Brock Blake. Brock is the founder and CEO of Lendio and is a columnist and contributor to several business publications. Brock, we're so happy to have you here today. Thanks for having me. And we also wanna welcome our studio audience. Thank you very much for being here today. And to the viewers at home, thank you for joining us. Throughout the discussion, we'll invite you to share your experiences with us on any of our social media platforms. For downloadable resources for study and teaching, visit byutv.org slash come follow up. Today, we've selected two topics to discuss that relate to the passages found in Matthew chapter five and Luke chapter six. These topics and discussions support and build upon the Come Follow Me resources. The two topics we're going to be discussing are first, lasting happiness comes from living the way Jesus Christ taught, and the powerful truth of our potential. We'll expound on these first two topics and then take a deeper dive into the scriptures later on in the footnotes segment of the show. Okay, for the first topic, James, uh, about happiness. Lasting happiness comes from living the way Jesus Christ taught. Can you just give us a, a brief introduction specifically to the chapters we're talking about today and what they have to do with this first topic? Sure, so this week we're in a, a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. Although remember the gospels aren't documentaries. Okay. So, so Luke, he remembers it as being on a plane but I think it's important for Matthew to put it on a mountain be 
to say this is like Moses getting the law, right? Okay. This is the most important thing since then. And it opens with this section we call the Beatitudes, where it says, blessed are these people, blessed are these people. And some translations list that word blessed as happy, right? And so Jesus in, in this sermon is talking about a, a way to live, a way to see the world that gets at this idea of, of what does it really mean to be happy? But if you listen carefully, if you think of blessed as also meaning happy or, or at, at peace with the world content, just listen to the contrast in these verses. Happy or blessed are the poor in spirit. That's not what we normally think, right? Happy are those that mourn. That feels totally like it doesn't make sense. Happy are the meek. Happy are those who do hunger and thirst after righteousness. So he's starting all these beatitudes and it continues on with things we wouldn't normally associate with happiness. We'd associate with struggle. And then Jesus tells us, where can we find the happiness in that? So I'm going to go back to verse three again. Okay. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. And that one's interesting because you can only be a peacemaker if there's trouble, Okay. right? <laughs> and conflict, you're surrounded in conflict. And he says, happy. This is a time when you can be happy if you can make peace for you'll be called the children of God. So in all this passage, Jesus is telling us, look at the difficulties around you. Look at the troubles around you and you can find happiness here. Wow. I want to hear from the audience. Uh, we're talking about happiness. What are some things that make you happy? Emily. The mountains. The mountains, okay. Yes. Do you mind expounding on that a little bit? I, I don't know. For me, it just naturally facilitates happiness when you see that much nature and beauty that God put here for us to enjoy. And for you, how long does that happiness last? And are you able to carry that with you even when you leave the mountains? Yes. I hadn't thought of that before, but it's true. You go up and it kind of refreshes you. It's like, Going to church on Sunday can kind of last you through the week, man. If I make it up to the mountains once a week, which does not usually happen. But I feel like it, it carries with you that feeling of peace you can reflect back on. And then you look forward until the next time. You know, I, I, I love what's been said so far. And I'm, I want to come to you, Brock. How have you seen the, those seeking for happiness and, and other things that go against what teach, Jesus is teaching uh, what kind of effect does that have on their life, pursuing things that don't necessarily bring the true happiness that Christ is teaching about? Yeah, so I'll use an experience. I was just at uh, a conference with a good friend of mine who had incredible success, has done very, very well financially and travels the world. And she, she told me that she would give everything up if she had a companion that she could experience wow. life with. And it was just this teaching that she gave to me or those relationships with family members or your spouse, loved ones. That's what brings true happiness uh, from the gospel, right? You think about, you know, right now we have these young men and women going out uh, across the world doing humanitarian XP. 
and they are just serving. But when they come back, they are just glowing. And you can see this happiness where it is just about service and people and losing myself. Because the world is gonna try to send a different message where you have to have this, you have to have this. Um, If you remember, Sister Craven gave a talk once talking about walking by a store and in the window, it said, happiness, $15. (laughs) And so she walks inside this store to see, okay, what what can I get for $15? It's going to make me happy. And it was just trinkets. And from this, uh, she teaches a very valuable principle. She says, over the years, I've thought many times about that sign and how easy it can be to look for happiness in items that are cheap or temporary. As members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we are blessed to know how and where true happiness is found. It is found in carefully living the gospel established by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and in striving to become more like him. It's not in, you know, what you lost in that, you know, you'll remember, oh, this toy that I had, it's, You know, you remember those times when those that came to your aid and to assist you, and those are the things that bring us happiness and not in having the newest this and newest that, which is fine, right? Right. Would you mind, Brock, kind of talking about finding that balance between having things that are, you know, considered of the world, the things that make life easier, yet keeping that perspective on what true happiness, where true happiness lies? For Christmas, what we do, instead of giving uh, a gift to all of our employees, we have about 500 employees, we started doing this kind of give it back where we give each each team member two $100 bills. $100 bill, we ask them to go and have an experience with their family. The other $100 bill, we ask them to go find someone in need. And hopefully we ask them to be introspective. We can't say go pray, but that you be led to someone. And then we, we ask them if you'd be willing to come and report back. Wow. And so we, every single one of them throughout the world is going and they're looking for someone to serve. And this has been one of the most incredible experiences in my life. They've come back, they've shared, you know, I found someone that was on the, the side of the street, someone that was in a grocery store that needed help, someone, all these amazing experiences. In fact, just this week, I had someone that had kept that $100 bill in their wallet for six months, looking and wow. searching for someone to serve. <laughs> Finally, this week, found someone, he came back to my office, and he's like, Brock, I had the most amazing experience, this young mom who had a new baby, an infant, and, and I just knew she needed this money more than I did. And I gave it, and tears came in her eyes, and it was so incredible. And so it's this teaching of, Things are not lasting. Mm-hmm. Experiences and people and service are what really bring us that, that, that joy and happiness. And my team members at, at our company, the way they share that, you can see that joy from, from giving back. That's great. What else can you teach us, James, about what the Savior is trying to teach, how and where we can find true happiness? Uh, if we look at verse six, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Sometimes that discontent, there's more I want to understand. There's more answers. Jesus says, good, be curious, want more, be hungry, and you'll get filled. Or I'm looking around the world, and this is a mess. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is not the way things should be. I, I wish things were better. Jesus says, good, be happy, right? Identify that difference. 
and look forward and work forward to the day when you can be filled, when you can see things get better. So I think it's important that, that sometimes the happiness is not in that moment of payoff, but Jesus says, be happy already when you see the gap, because at least you know. You know, and sometimes it, it can be really challenging when you're in those moments where you're staring at that empty parking space. Right. And it's like, okay, how do I find happiness right now in the moment? We had a question that came in from one of our viewers, specifically asking about how to kind of internalize some of these teachings that Jesus is offering. Hello, my name is Silvana Padron. I'm originally from Montevideo, Uruguay. My question uh, with this verses of scripture comes from the fact that sometimes the opposition, the abandonment, or the criticism comes from within our families. And my question is, how can we use these verses of scriptures uh, to help us deal and even thrive in the face of difficult family circumstances? My advice to Silvana would be, one, there's times where you can bear it and know you're in a long line of people who kept the faith alone, and two, be open to that peace, because you never know when the moments are when even someone who has a strong disagreement can see past that, and, and you can share a beautiful moment together. That, that verse, uh, blessed are the peacemakers, reminds me, I mean, just recently, President Nelson has asked us to mm -hmm. end the conflict in, in our life and gave us a challenge to identify areas where there are conflict. And we know a lot of times that conflict happens in our homes. Sometimes we're the cause of it, sometimes unintentionally, but through the help of our Heavenly Father, we can seek to end that. We can forgive, we can ask for forgiveness, and seek to kind of remove that conflict that may be happening in our home. I often learn from the example of others, and, and I try to um, you know, follow that pattern that, that brought them happiness. I would love to hear from the audience on who you know, who do you know that exemplifies some of these beatitudes that Jesus is teaching. Leah. Uh, first person that comes to my mind is my mom. She has always been a huge example to me, especially during struggling times um, of how to find peace in the moment or to become the peace in the moment. Uh, <laughs> definitely during college, uh, having roommates is not always the easiest experience. I was always able to go to my mom and every single time, even though I didn't like the answer that she gave, the one thing that she told me that I will remember forever is never go into a situation angry when you're trying to have a conversation with someone. Always go into that conversation with a calm mind and just love for that person because you'll be able to work out your problems way easier in, in that light. And it's helped me every single time and I've always been very grateful for her example to inspire me to do that. Leah, uh, what would you... What would you say that light that you spoke of is? It's, it's that Christ-like love where the other person is more important than whatever, whatever you want out of the situation, whatever you're trying to get from them or whatever you think you deserve. You're putting what they want over what you want. I feel like we could go on <laughs> forever talking about this. Um, fortunately, we do have footnotes where we can continue this discussion, but I, I do wanna kind of wrap up this, this first segment with a quote from uh, Dallin H. Oaks that really talks about where true happiness comes from. He says, do not seek happiness in the glittering but shallow things of the world. We cannot achieve lasting happiness by pursuing the wrong things. There is no lasting happiness in what we possess, 
Happiness and joy come from what a person is, not from what he or she possesses or appears to be. Thank you both so much for this first portion of the show and for the audience. Thank you for your contributions. And for you at home, how have you found lasting happiness through striving to follow Christ's teachings? Share with us on Facebook and Instagram. When Christ said to be perfect, I feel like he meant that we should be striving to be perfect. For me, perfection is progress. Perfect doesn't mean to be perfect now. We're striving towards it. We're just trying to get there eventually, and we will get there eventually. We can take the steps and the actions and be moving forward. Because uh, when we're not moving at all, then it's a move backwards. And so it, get, it gives us a goal of something to strive for. That perfection that we're trying to attain is something that's quite heavy. Um, but it's, it's something that we don't have to carry on our own because of the Savior and what He's done for us. Our second topic is the powerful truth of our potential. And we're gonna start off this second segment a little bit different. And so uh, I wanna get a little survey and kind of just kind of test out the audience a little bit and see some uh, different personality traits, okay? So if you can tell us how many of you would say, uh, we're gonna do a comparison uh, being more laid back versus kind of more of a perfectionist. So will you raise your hand if you would consider yourself more of a easygoing, laid back individual? Okay. Can how many of you would say you're more of a perfectionist? That's pretty good. That's a pretty good uh, spread out. Pretty even. Spread out, spread yeah. 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 Okay, so why, why is it this important to understand within the context of what we're talking about, James, these different personality types? When, when somebody's teaching, it's half what they say and half what we hear. And I think Jesus has interesting things to say in the Sermon on the Mount for both. But in this sermon to his disciples, starting in verse 21, he's going to talk about the old law and a new law in a way that, that changes things, that challenges you guys. In verse 21, you've heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. So here's Jesus saying, it's not enough just to not kill anyone. Can you watch your emotions, right? Can you watch the way you're interacting with someone? Okay. And that's interesting. So from the business standpoint, I'm sure you run into this all the time that maybe there's this sense of complacency among some of the employees like, well, I'm not doing this. How do you help those with whom you work kind of elevate their game and, and reach for a higher level? Well, I think that's one of the things I learned as I've studied these chapters is you think about, you know, as a CEO, my hope and goal is to be able to create a culture where people are striving for greatness. And so for me, I think that's the thing is what, what are those to establish a culture, what's, what are those values, those base principles that you are building off of and reinforcing, like, here's the bar, this is what we're shooting for, so people know, kind of, this is what I'm trying to accomplish. Now, are there some specific things within your organizations that kind of have helped get to that point of raising the bar a little bit? Well, reinforcing positive experiences. We have an internal communication tool, our High Fives channel. And it's really just peers recognizing peers of great things that are happening. And so it could be, you know, a shout out or other things like that. And I think that's important in our life to be able to give those compliments of, hey, you're doing a great job and think about how that makes us feel. And I think 
Jesus' teaching fits this model in this chapter mm -hmm. because he says, the law you know is good. Step up, follow the law, and do more. Jesus tells us something about God. So here in verses 44 to 45, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. I think it's so interesting that right after telling us to do better, Jesus reminds us that God gives whether we got there or not. The last verse of chapter 5, Jesus does say, be therefore perfect. But he doesn't just say that. He says, be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. So he's told us what Father in heaven is like, right? Okay. That, that God is giving and God is merciful. And that's part of the way I read this idea that we're supposed to be perfect mostly in this specific area. And honestly, when I'm embarrassed, it's usually because of me. What was it that I wish I did better so I could look better, so I could feel better about how perfect I am? Not, what could I do better to be more charitable in the way I think about other people? And that's a difference. I think this chapter probably can be difficult for some because you, you're reading it and you're saying, okay, here are the attributes of being a disciple of Christ. Then he's saying, I need to raise the bar. And then he ends it with, be ye therefore perfect. And, you know, I heard a podcast this week where a young woman, when she was growing up, she looked at everyone else in her young woman's class and everyone else was doing great and she was struggling. And it led into get into drugs and, and other things. And her whole life, she just felt like, I'm not good enough. I can't repent because I've gone too far. I've done these things. Uh, she had this amazing experience where one day when she was at the lowest of lows, she, she kind of just pleading to God, do you still know me? Do you love me? Even though I feel like I'm not worthy of your love. And she felt this, this amazing like arms around her comforting feeling and that led her to, and this was her most important message, the atonement. Like we cannot be perfect on our own. The only way we can become perfect is with the Savior and, his, and the atonement. I am so far from perfect, and, and we all are. But with Christ and, and the way he makes up our weaknesses, we can achieve that perfectness. President Nelson uh, had something about this. He kind of teaches us a valuable principle when he says, we all need to remember men are that they might have joy, not guilt trips. <laughs> Please note that the word perfection does not imply freedom from error. It implies achieving a distant objective. Can you teach us a little bit about what that means? The difference between seeking to be error-free and achieving a distant objective. It's not an expectation that right now you're there with everything. It's a vision of what our nature is and what we are capable of becoming with Christ and his atonement. You know, and as we talk about this idea of becoming within this, this chapter, within specifically Matthew chapter five with the Beatitudes, a sermon, his, it's all about elevation. We're going to lift you all to be better, to be that light as it speaks about in, in chapter five. Can we talk a little bit about that? And, and what, is he, what does that really mean? Because these are common phrases that we talk about a lot, being the light of the world, being that example. So Brock, do you mind just kind of telling us from your experience, you are the head of a company. What's that like for you being you know, the guy that people look to 
do you feel added pressure that comes with that? How do you help your employees see that, look, I'm filling a role, but you're also trying to be an example to them? Feel a little bit of pressure. Um, and I think the most important thing is to be real, to be okay. vulnerable, to, to be able to stand in front of your team members or in conversations or other things with anyone, to be able to talk about the challenges that you go through, the experiences. And if you talk about kind of some of the real things that are happening in your life and the struggles, then people can relate. And when the people can relate, now there's an opportunity to teach. And in a non-gospel setting, you can teach gospel principles because uh, they're eternal, but not use religious or gospel words. And because those are eternal, people do relate. So I think just being being real and genuine around your own struggles and mistakes and weaknesses um, makes a big difference. I really like that distinction that when, when Christ says there in verse 14, you're the light of the world, don't hide it. We could misunderstand that as, oh, I am the light of the world. Okay. But I, I love that what you get at is there are these principles and people go, ah, that's true. That's light that changes me, which reminds me of verse 16, where Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. In other words, you want to be the kind of light where they don't go, ah, you're really together, but where they go, oh man, that thing that you told me, it works. It really works. And I feel something when I do that. And they're connecting to that divine source. And so it doesn't matter if you're imperfect, right? And, and maybe the imperfection is part of how they recognize the power in that light. I think that's what true leadership is. There's this humbleness about it that we all strive to emulate. And if you do it right, then that person is growing and they're trying to be better. They're striving in their life. And so it's not, it's about me. It's actually about the people that you serve. Who in your life would you say has been a light to the world? Casey. Um, when I think about a light to the world, uh, a specific friend comes to mind. And, um, and I remember the way I describe her is like one time I prayed because I was going through a really hard time and I prayed that the storm would pass. And um, instead of the storm being taking away, God sent a friend with an umbrella. I know that she strives all the time to be like Christ. And I feel the love of my Savior so much. Um, and she has been there for me in so many instances and where I just, I know that like her being placed in my life was definitely um, oriented by God and that I needed her and he knew that I would need her in my world. By her being in my life and loving me and living the way she does, it increases my testimony of the Savior. You're making me want to get to know this friend. Wow. <laughs> no, that's, that's really, I love that. And, and it's obvious that she has been a light. Have you found that being around your friend has caused you to think about ways that you can be a light to others as well? And if so, what are you doing to, to be that light? By knowing her and seeing the example that she lives, it makes me want to make sure that I'm doing better. And I remember one time as I was like contemplating, like, how can I be a better friend? You know, like I did, I went to the people that I care about that are close to me and I was like, what is your love language? Like, mm. tell me your love language so that I can love you in a way that you need to be loved, like not in how I think is best to love you, but in a way that you'll receive it and truly know that like, I care about you because 
The one thing that I feel like no one should ever have to question is whether or not you matter to them, like they matter to you. And so it made me want to strive even harder to make sure that the people that I care about and I love, they don't ever, like if I were to die tomorrow, they don't have to question mm -hmm. whether or not Casey loved them because I will have shown it um, in my life and in my actions. You know, something Brock that Casey was saying really stuck out to me as, so her friend brought an umbrella and she's trying to find out, okay, how, what is your language? What, how can I reach you? How can I be that life for you? In the industry in which you work, I, I would imagine that there's a lot of ways in which we might not even think about of sharing this light. Would you mind talking to us a little bit about how you encourage through your platforms uh, sharing this light? Well, when you think of the light of the world, the light is bringing light to a dark area, right? And if we look around us in this world and see all the things that are happening, there's a lot of evil, a lot of darkness, and sometimes we get consumed by that. And I especially think about you know social media, mm -hmm. where we sometimes social media can be a bad thing because we fear of missing out, FOMO, we see all <laughs> these things, or we see a lot of negativity. And we literally have a platform, unlike 10 years ago, where we, whatever message we could put, the world can see. So we have a microphone, we have an opportunity to be a light. I like to follow people that when I see their, their content, I feel uplifted. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting, if you think about what are you saying on social media and how does that line up with Beatitudes? Because sometimes it's, it's mm -hmm. that gratitude that gets through, but sometimes it's hungering and thirsting after righteousness, right? Or taking a minute to mourn with someone and help with them or on your own. So being a light to the world is, is not just always being cheerful, it's sharing that whole mm -hmm. discipleship. I posted a very simple picture of my wife and kids. Um, and I said, you know, striving to be the husband and father they deserve. About six weeks later, I got a text from someone I grew up with that I hadn't seen in years and said, hey, I follow you on social media, and I saw this post, and this word you used was striving. Mm -hmm. And that hit me so hard of like, how to be that man, that, that husband, that father that I want to be. We're not perfect, but we're striving. And it just had a real significant impact. It was a text that was so meaningful to me, and I didn't know, you know, that it had that impact, I wouldn't have known if he would have never texted me. And I, and a lot of people have that, that type of impact on me when I see their posts and I'm like, man, that, that's really uplifting. And so I, we have this platform uh, to be a light and we can use it. You know, that really is the, the perfect example of, of what this discussion has, all been, has been all about with perfection, striving to become. President Kimball has a, a great quote that goes along with exactly what you said. He said, in urging us to be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect, Jesus was not taunting us or teasing us. He was telling us a powerful truth about our possibilities and about our potential. We are not yet perfect as Jesus was, but unless those about us can see us striving and improving, they will not be able to look to us for an example. Each of us has more opportunities to do good and to be good than we ever use. And what a great way, what a great thing that you're doing, you know, with those social media platforms to do that good and the opportunities that are out there to be that light. Thank you both so much for your comments and for sharing with us and for the audience. Again, thank you so much for participating in today's episode. And for those at home, we still have so much to cover from Matthew chapter five and Luke chapter six in footnotes with James and Brock. So stick around.
So the way the Spirit communicates with me is I'm very, I'm an emotional person, and He speaks to me through my gut. And so I always know that when my gut's telling me something, that's the Holy Ghost, and so I always go with my gut. <laughs> the way the Spirit communicates with me is it just, it kind of feels like a warm hug, you know? Because, I mean, the world, it can be really lonely, but like every time that you're in an environment or you're in a place where the Spirit can speak to you, it just feels like, like, a, like a warm embrace, like nothing else matters. The Spirit communicates with me through thought and through feeling a lot of the times. Like today I felt the Spirit so strongly at several points and it was just something that I felt in my being. It's hard to describe, but like it, it said yes. You know, it told me like, this is true, this is real, and I can believe in this. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. We've dismissed our studio audience and are ready to pick up right where we left off with Matthew 5 and Luke chapter 6. Okay, James, I'm really impressed. I've been nervous having you on the show so much. I'm like, James, you have this old rickety Bible, but now we have a new Bible. James has two Bibles. Okay, what are we doing with this? Teach I have two us. Bibles. I'm still breaking this one in a okay. little bit. But I thought it'd be worth bringing them both on to share something in my one year when I really spent time with the Gospels. That you're focused on it. I noticed something about the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 and Luke chapter 4. So I'm going to flip here to Luke 4. Four and to Matthew 5. And actually, if I can have you go to Isaiah 61. So there's a story in Luke where Jesus goes to preach in Nazareth and, and he's there at services on the Sabbath and they ask him to read from the scroll. And he picks this point that's Isaiah 61 that's a prophecy about what the Messiah is gonna do and he just reads it. Right? And what he says after is, today this is fulfilled before you, which is very bold, and people in Nazareth do not respond well. Mm -hmm. But I noticed some of the principles there line up really clearly with these Beatitudes. And let me read here in Luke chapter 4, um, verses 18 to 19, and you're in verses 1 and 2 in Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. It's just interesting that, that we got the, the poor, we have the, those in mourning, in need of comfort, we've got the sight to the blind, and, and here he is having said he'll do all these things, and doing them maybe in a different way than people would have expected. Mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not a grand, set of actions, it's just this quiet instilling of those values in his disciples. So we, earlier we talked about the Beatitudes. Yeah. And, um, and, and I love that we kind of brought this all back around because I think they're so profound. Specifically with the Beatitudes, I want to get some of your thoughts. Do you have, let's start with Brock, do you have a favorite Beatitude or, or one that has significant meaning to you? As I was studying this, I thought about my, my mother. My mom passed away a few years ago of cancer. And this was a really, really difficult time for me personally. Um, and, uh, but I think back about the time where we, she was in the hospital and we knew there's days before she was gonna pass. My siblings and I gathered, my dad was there. And it, we, were, we were in this state of mourning. 
but I look back with such incredible fondness of that time period because the veil was thin mm -hmm. and we were so close to the spirit. And I remember vividly people that, you know, you say mourn with those that mourn, that friends and loved ones who reached out in a very personal way to me and lifted me up during this time of deep pain and hurt. It says here, for they shall be comforted. And that specific beatitude stuck out to me as I read, as I thought about my mom and, 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 and that period of time of deep mourning. I've been through a similar experience when I was a young child, my father passed away. And as you were saying that, one of my most vivid memories or happiest, I guess, if you want to call it, of a child is the when my the morning that my brother woke me up to tell me that my dad had passed. And I think about the hug he gave me. I think about that comfort. And the reality for me was I felt Christ's love. And that's what I, I go back on is in such a, a difficult, trying time to feel so much love, it puts a smile on my face yeah. to, to realize that that exists out there. And I love that we don't, I think sometimes we try to rush it and get straight to the comfort, mm -hmm. but here he's saying, no, mourn, right? The Doctrine and Covenants tells us, thou shalt live together in love in so much that thou shalt weep for the loss of them that die. It's good to mourn because that's a sign of this connection and love, but in that mourning, as you embrace it and step through it, there's also that love of Christ and that thin veil and presence of others, so. And I don't know if I could have felt that otherwise. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know if I could have felt how how amazing that love and comfort is had I not gone through that. And so I wonder if these experiences are, are there for us so that he can say, listen, I'm gonna, you're going to go through this so that you can feel that love and comfort. Yeah, and they belong together, yeah. right? We have to have the courage to mourn to have this experience of, of also feeling that comfort. And I think it teaches you how to be empathetic toward others, mm -hmm. right? I've had plenty of you know good friends or others pass in my life but when my when my mom passed away um, it was just a different level of depth and so when others go through that I'm learning what it means to mourn with those I can I can just I hear that about your father and I just my heart goes out to yeah. you, you know, because I've been there and mm -hmm. you can feel that there's a connection now right. like you and I have a, a bond a connection that may not exist with somebody else because we have been through something similar. Exactly. And, and you can't take that away. And I think that's what Christ is trying to do with all of us is to find those connections. How can you connect with people and comforting those that are mourning is a part of that. That's part of why the meek inherit the earth and the poor in spirit experience the kingdom of heaven because God's kingdom is in that connection. And so the fact that you guys have that now, that's one of those pieces of Zion, a street in right. the sort of invisible city we build. I wanna kind of take a step back from these individual beatitudes and look at it from the Savior's point of view, teaching this massive group. Looking at Jesus as, as a leader, with many followers, how do we go from teaching on the, the macro level to bringing it down to the individual on both the spiritual side and on kind of the worldly, more business side of it? You know, I think about the these Beatitudes and, and the Sermon on the Mount specifically, and we think about the Savior, and in this moment, he is bringing together a group of people and he's teaching principles. And he's walking through the characteristics of being a disciple of Christ and he's doing it to the group. And this is like, okay, here's the principles. 
Then we go in throughout the New Testament, we have, all, and, and the Book of Mormon, we see these moments and we always learn about the Savior. He ministered one-on-one. And that's where he showed the, the principles that he taught. This is what you should do. Let me show you how to do it. I love there was a, a quote by Sister Sharon Eubank that I love that um, it says, the New Testament shows the great efforts Jesus made to reach out to all kinds of people. Now think about this list of people that the Savior ministered to one-on-one. So lepers, the tax collectors, children, Galileans, harlots, women, Pharisees, sinners, Samaritans, widows, Roman soldiers, adulterers, and the ritually unclean. It says in almost every story, he's reaching out to someone who wasn't traditionally accepted in society, Mm -hmm. close quote. I love that uh, because he's not going out and like ministering to the perfect. He's not out there ministering to the, the person that we think is the most righteous. Even as you're as you're talking about it, in my mind, I'm thinking he he goes with Lazarus. He more we see him that one on one. You have that verse, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Yeah. And sometimes that gets thrown out there. You know, having taught high school kids for a long time. <laughs> You ask him to share, share a scripture, and they kind of think it's silly, Jesus wept, or, and my father dwelt in a tent. But there's a lot of deep meaning and significance within some of those words, because it does show that Jesus wept with this little family in their time of loss. You know, just given that that attention. I was looking at another one, uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And I was thinking, I thought about Nicodemus. And, yeah. and he, that one-on-one teaching moments, like he's hungry. You know, he, he wants it so bad. I'm going to go meet you at nighttime. So, that, you know, but because he really does have that thirst. And so you see that large scale teaching. And then you see that individual one-on-one attention that I think is so valuable that even today that we are striving to seek and feel. As we talk about Jesus Christ on the grand scale, it is still important for us to develop that individual personal relationship with him, even though he is not living here on the earth. So we often think about leadership as in standing in front of this large group and, you know, and that type of perspective. I think it's, it is that in some ways, but then it's, are you following the Savior by one-on-one ministry? And especially to this group that's traditionally unaccepted. And we think about sometimes there's the culture of the gospel and who are those individuals that may be traditionally unaccepted? What are we doing to reach out and ministering to the one? Mm-hmm. What are we doing to embrace them and say, you're right. a part of this. And I think that's a big part of this, that what the Savior taught, a true principle of the leadership. It is, here are the principles, here are the values. I'm gonna walk you through every single one. I want you to raise the bar, but I'm not just gonna, it's not just gonna be words. Yeah. I'm gonna show you how it's done, one by one by one. So what would happen if, if you get up in front of an organization and, and you preach a certain aspect of how to do things, whether you know in your church life, in your personal life, you know, home with your kids or with your business, what happens when you preach on a higher level yet on the individual, it just falls empty and you, and you don't, you're not practicing what you preach. Right, it's, it's hollow. And there's likely gonna be resentment. There's hypocrisy there. You're teaching this, but you don't really believe it. You don't really live it. You're trying to say the things that look good or that come across as this is what you're supposed to be saying. And you know, even in saying it like leaders, we try and live up to those expectations. We all fall short, mm-hmm. but it's in that striving. It's in the 
each day I'm trying, I'm learning, you know, that's one of the things I talk about a lot with my team is sometimes I say things that offend people unintentionally. And I, and I say, I'm sorry, I'm learning, help me learn, right? And I think that's the, if they feel that sincere yeah. kind of desire, like it is true, he, he is learning and, and, and you're not afraid to apologize when you mess, when you mess up. Uh, I think that's part of it. That's great. One thing that impresses me as we're thinking about Jesus as a leader, he teaches people to see the world fundamentally differently. We talked about whether it's the Beatitudes or, or, or this sense of law, right? He's asking you to, to not look at exterior status, but to, to see the world as belonging to the meek. He's asking you to not just look at basic observance, but try and push deeper to the interior. What am I really doing inside? How am I treating the people closest to me? And I think when Jesus lives it and is consistent, people who encounter him don't just leave having gone, oh, Jesus is this good guy. But because he's lived it, they start to see like Jesus sees. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of how he changes the world. Obviously, we're 2,000 years later. We can see that Jesus' teaching changed the material world. The way societies are organized is different because he was there than if he hadn't been. But the spiritual side, right? Like all those changes were created spiritually first in the changed perspective. And then over time, we could start physically doing it. And obviously we're human. Mm -hmm. We still think in terms of status, et cetera. But, but yeah, that process is ongoing because of the kind of leader he was. And we see that specifically as, you know, some of these are some well-known verses when he's talking about how to interact with the Romans, for example. And, and some of those things, like you talk about changing the world and that mindset. Can you kind of walk us through some of those changes he's asking the, the people yeah. to live? Um, so verse 38, you've heard it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's fair. Right? right? That's fair. <laughs> but I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And then it says the same for coat and cloak. If they take your coat, keep offering. There's a key word here. Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Because that's kind of odd to us. Who would compel you to go a mile? Say, hey, if I showed up at your house and said, I need you to walk a mile for me, that's kind of odd. Yeah. Well, Roman soldiers were allowed to have just a normal commoner carry their pack for a mile, right? And that was the rule. So the first mile is compelled, it's forced. Jesus' kind of way to turn it is say, do it another mile. That's going to get in his head, right? Yeah. And you're not resisting in the direct way by pushing back now, but you're saying, I have agency. You're voluntarily I have choice. carrying this I'm pack. voluntarily okay. doing this, right? And maybe now the Roman's going to think about, okay, wait, what kind of world am I in? That he's going to notice you're a human being mm -hmm. because you asserted yourself in this non-confrontational way, but a way that still demands something. So mm. sometimes I think people misread these verses to feel like, look, just be a doormat. Just take it, take it, take anything. I think instead Jesus is teaching people, even in a position where you are pushed down, where you're on the margins, you can proactively engage and speak to the other person's humanity, right? Assert oh, control and okay. ask, right? Wow. Like, okay, you're going to treat me as a servant, but, but are you going to hit this cheek? What are you going to do? What does that mean? Okay, you can make me carry your pack for a mile. 
and I'm whistling while I continue to walk. And how do you react to that? So there are little ways to break up the order that the world tries to push us into gently. There's a gentle power to Jesus' teachings. So Brock, uh, as we talk about the Savior's leadership style, what about what he's asking us to do as far as our interactions with others impresses you? Well, I love what you were talking about, how the Savior and his teachings, it's like, it's, it's a little bit like the world is accepting one way and he comes in and changes it and says, there's a different view. The story I think of specifically is the woman caught in adultery. And in this moment, it's, you know, the world, everyone around is saying, okay, she's a, it's a woman mm -hmm. at the time. She's a sinner. And it was probably acceptable to kind of keep your distance or in some ways bully. Mm -hmm. But he ministered to her. He got down on her level, draws a line in the sand and says, you know, with everyone watching, what's the Savior going to do? And he says, you know, he who is without sin cast the first stone. That teaching not only is ministering to the one, but it is changing the perception of how we interact with someone that is a sinner or somewhat been somehow disadvantaged. The same way, in a different way than he did with Roman soldiers and the teachings that he has here. But like every lesson, it is this broader teaching of the world of, of an elevated way to act. And it really causes you to reflect internally like, Imagine those guys saying, oh, wait, am I going to throw the first stone? Or that soldier, do I really want to make this guy carry it another mile? Yeah. But he's willing to. Do I really want to be that guy who makes him do that? Again, I think we can learn something from Jesus. It's not that he just said to her, well, bear it. It's okay. They're going to bully you. Take it. But neither did he say, well, you tell them. They shouldn't judge. It's, it's gentle, it's introspective, and that way of communicating. We talked earlier about social media and how to be a light. Maybe this is one option, that in times where people are engaging in conflict and being uncharitable about each other, do we have opportunities to be that person who just asks the quiet, non-confrontational question, to promote introspection instead of escalating. I love that point. You know, instead of him going to the accusers and saying, you're bullying, this is wrong. He's not teaching directly to them. Like his, that's not, he, he is, but it's indirectly through the way that he asks the question and the way he interacts with the woman and, and that teaches a more valuable and a, a much deeper lesson. As we've talked about the, the light being that light, at that moment, with specifically with the woman taking adultery, he is a light to everybody around of how you stand up for somebody who is being bullied or who feels marginalized or who, who just feels beat down by life in general. And then when everybody leaves and nobody's around to see what he's doing, he's a light to her on a one-on-one -on -one individual level. And I really think that that's the power of, of his example and his, of his love is being that light on a grand scale and on that smaller scale. Um, I'm going to connect this dots is I love, he still is teaching and um, correct principles and he's bold to the woman, but he does it in private. He waits until everyone mm -hmm. leaves and then he says, go and sin no more. And if we are focused on our, our like, like making, trying to look good. Mm -hmm. Like what's the perception I'm trying, that everything's good, everything's perfect, that I'm, 
um, and it's about us, I think that's when we get caught and that's a really dangerous and slippery slope. Where if we then start thinking, okay, how am I promoting good, focusing on others, on you know, giving compliments or responding, or you know, when you see a post that you know someone's going through a difficult time, reaching out to them, and so I think it's it's about is it about building myself up? If so, then that you that's probably a point to check yourself. Okay. And and again, I think every, you know, once a quarter, kind of going back and reviewing your own yeah. posts and saying, if I were looking at this for the first time, what's the message that I'm getting? Okay. And if it is, you know, giving shout outs or giving recognition or stories, or I learned so much from this person or my child who's gone through this, it's like, is it uplifting? Is it, is it a reflection of the savior or is it trying to shine a light on yourself? I think too, there's a real danger to being reactive and responding to whatever is there in the moment. And we, we need to be sure that we balance the things that feel urgent or current with the things that are most important to us. And I like the way that, that the teachings in these chapters kind of help say, what's some baseline? What's some anchoring stuff? How do we see the world this way? You get a sense through the gospels that there's some people kind of following him <laughs> to pick, <laughs> yeah. right? No and question. to try and choose the fights. And so the fact that he's, he's able to lay out to his disciples who he's teaching now, we're not just gonna always react, but we're gonna say, this is the core. And these are the things we stand for then you won't get sucked into every single controversy around you, which, which was a real threat for them the same way it is for us. This has been so fun. Really, man, like Brock, I'm like, this guy, <laughs> you're just, you just like, you're so good and, and it just shows. Um, I would just love to, you know, as for those that are watching and, and for me and James, just kind of a personal level, uh, what keeps you going, you know, with, with trying to balance life and career and family, what keeps you driving and, and down that covenant path? I'm not doing anything different than anyone else is doing. I'm just trying every single day to follow the Savior and to be a good husband and to be a good father and be a good leader. And as you strive, then he makes up the difference and there's, there's strength. Well, you're a great example to those that, that come in contact with you. I mean, you've been a great example to James and myself as we've learned from you and heard your story. It's been a real pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much. Thank you both. And for those at home, thank you so much for joining us for this discussion from Matthew chapter 5 and Luke chapter 6. I encourage you to record and act on any impressions that you've received. Come Follow Up is a television show, a podcast, and a study and teaching provider. Follow us on social media and find additional clips on our YouTube channel. Next week, we're back in Matthew, where we'll be studying chapters 6 and 7. Thanks for watching. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.